Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship, two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. Please join me today for a shout-out to Heartbeat sponsor, Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. Athlete injuries are a part of sport. Athletes push their bodies to the limit, and sometimes things break. Today on Heartbeat, we're going to dive deep into what it takes both to physically and mentally come back from injury. Olympic biathlete Paul Schomer has been making a mark for himself the last few years. The Wisconsin native made his first Olympic team in 2022, competing in Beijing. Schomer was no stranger to injuries. In 2019, he went through knee surgery, coming back strong. So when just prior to the start of the 22-23 season, he felt a twinge in his knee, he had a sense of what was in store. Despite the prognosis, Schomer gave it a go, competing on the IBU World Cup and earning a spot on the world championship team. Then it was decision time. Schomer chose to leave the tour for surgery in early March. And today, he's deep into his rehab program and looking forward to coming back this fall. In this Heartbeat interview, Schomer dives deep into the mental aspects of injuries. He also shares his optimism for the future and the role that archery is playing in his rehab. If you want to have some fun, check out his YouTube channel, Average Olympian, after you listen to the podcast. So now let's join Paul Schomer at his home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. Well, the 2022-23 biathlon season is now over. And for one of the top members of U.S. biathlon team, another journey is beginning. We're with Paul Schomer today from his home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the Wisconsin native under uh, going uh, rehab right now from a surgery he had a month ago. And Paul, great to see you. And we're going to talk about the season, but you look great. And how do you feel a month after surgery? Yeah, feeling pretty good. Month month out now, a little bit over a month. Soon we'll be ditching my brace. I'm really happy with how the procedure went. Happy with how rehab has been going so far and excited to get rid of the brace and really start doing what will be some more of the intense rehab heading into the later parts of the spring here. You're a native of Wisconsin. I know you make Sioux Falls your home right now. What uh, brought you to Sioux Falls? So in a there's it's like a multi-step uh how, how would you say it journey that brought us to Sioux Falls. We're only here for one year. My wife it, she started residency. She's in the orthopedic residency program out of the University of North Dakota. So we've called the Dakotas our home now for the last three years, but the first two were in Fargo. And then because they don't have a foot and ankle specialist up at the hospitals in Fargo, we come down here to Sioux Falls for one year, and then we'll be moving back to Fargo this July. So uh, we've been enjoying our time down here in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls. Um, it's a great community. We, we enjoy the city. A l- little bit more to offer than than Fargo in terms of trails in town and stuff like that. But Um, At the same time, we are looking forward to going back to Fargo and uh, having a little bit more space in our in our own house as we've been sharing uh, an apartment here 
with one of Jillian's co-residents. So the combination of having three people and two of those people having way too many hobbies, being my, my wife and I, sometimes we run out of storage space. Where do you put the kayaks? Oh man, it like barely fits in my in the the one garage stall that we have. I have to actually have put it in at a diagonal. I mean, another couple of inches, and I feel like the it wouldn't even fit in the in the garage. That is awesome. I, I love kayaking, but uh, you know, if you, if you don't have a little bit of space, it's hard to store them. Uh, Sioux Falls is a great town. We drive through there often uh, from my home in Utah back to my original home in Wisconsin, your uh, native state. Uh, what's what's the skiing like there? You you were able to spend half the season there this year uh, when you took a break from the World Cup to have the surgery, but were you able to get on snow there on the trails? Yeah, I got a couple of uh, skis in while I was here. Thankfully, there was also some crust skiing, so I was able to get out on some of the golf courses. For those who haven't been to either Sioux Falls or Fargo, Fargo is incredibly flat. It lies right in the middle of the Red River Valley, uh, so it's pretty much as flat as a pancake for about 30 miles in both directions, east and west, and then also north and south from the city. So there's really not a whole lot of cross-country skiing there. Here in Sioux Falls, it, it, the topography is a little bit more hilly. It lies in the, the big Sioux River Valley. And so um, there's some like kind of sandhill dunes. And thankfully, I've been able, I, I was able to get out a few times this spring, kind of check out some of the trails and uh, there was a few winter storms as well, and uh, which included my wife and I getting out a couple times with our downhill skis, just kind of hiking and finding the steepest little downhill runs we could, which were probably about 20 seconds long, which for for most people, probably not worth it. But we also had the commented after our little excursion, like, man, this is nice. We're not gonna be able to do this next year when we're back in Fargo. So yeah, and there's been a few skiers in town that I've met. Um, I did a little event at the Great Bear Ski Ski Hill here in town. There's a small alpine hill, and we actually I, I talked to them and had a few local skiers come out and did a little cross country ski clinic this spring. So that was kind of cool to connect with some of the the local skiers. There's only about five or six people that showed up, but cool to be in a place where there are some trails. Awesome. Let's talk about the season past. You went into the season, had a little bit of a knee problem, had had surgery back in 2019, but kind of walk us through that lead up to the 22-23 season when all of a sudden you started to realize maybe we've got a little bit of a problem still going on there. Yeah. So in 2019, I underwent what would have been my second knee surgery at the time. Uh, the original surgery that I had was back in 2010. I had a piece of cartilage that broke off on basically end of my femur, a piece of cartilage about two by two centimeters. And they went in and removed that loose body and then did a procedure called microfracture, which was supposed to fill in that area with uh, some scar cartilage. But due to how much I'm working out all the time that that quickly wore down and just my knee kind of had this slow progression of getting worse and worse every year. And so in 2019, I decided to explore some options. And thankfully, our team docs connected me with a doctor at their hospital that they work at, at HSS out in New York City, and had my first allograph put in. Recovering from that surgery, I realized that my knee was never going to be perfect. I had already had two knee surgeries on it. And my wife being an in orthopedics, she kind of explained to me, like, I mean, you can only repair your knee so much. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be my native cartilage again. And so I kind of just accepted as th that my knee's function is what it is. And 
I would have bad days. I would have good days. It would kind of ebb and flow depending on travel, training load, what kind of training I was doing. But this last fall, I was out for a run with my dog and I was kind of having what I would consider like kind of a bad day. My knee was finicky, didn't feel that great. But all of a sudden it just locked up, which is not something that I would experience often. I was like, oh man, that was really weird. Took a few more steps, locked up a second time. This And so, as I said, I, I'd always kind of accepted that my knee wasn't perfect, but this was like a new level, frustrating to a new level because I was like, this is this is not okay. I can't even get in my workouts now. So I, I managed to kind of limp my way back to the car, got in and was like, okay, I'm just going to take it easy the rest of the day, try to get a good night's sleep, wake up tomorrow, see what happens. That afternoon, I was at the gym getting in a strength workout because I had an intensity session the next day. And... It was just continuing to lock up even without any weight bearing exercises. And I was like, this is not good. I I can't even like walk down the hall without it like feeling weird and and stuff. So next day, got in my car, figured I'm going to try to go get in this intensity session. Um, Then I have a few days off or a few, few easier days. So I like want to try to get in this one last good workout before I take a, take it easy for a couple of days, getting into my car, my knee locked up as I'm going there. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is it. I'm definitely not gonna be able to ski, went out and skied, not, not good. Talked to a team doc, got an MRI scheduled for as soon as I can that next week. And I mean, at this point, I, I don't know what's going on in my knee, but the, the thoughts are already coming in like, oh man, I don't even know if I'm going to have a season. Like I've been through this before. I know what it feels like to have a loose body in my knee, kind of having some kind of reminding me of what it was like originally back in 2010 when that loose body had broken off. And so I was definitely nervous at this point. I was supposed to fly out for Europe about three days after this MRI. And I'm already preparing for the worst. Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to Europe, especially, I mean, even if there's not a loose body in my knee, there's something else going on that doesn't even allow me to be able to walk normally. And so got the MRI. And what it showed was that the allograft that was put in in 2019 was still doing really well, but just lateral to that in my knee, there was a new injury where I had basically worn down the cartilage in my knee to the bone and there was like some bone edema and they could see how that that's where my problems were coming from thankfully it showed that there weren't any loose bodies and the reason why a loose body would be a major concern is is i wouldn't want to continue to compete with a piece of cartilage floating around in my knee because that could cause further damage with my meniscus or ligaments or there would be a potential of something worse happening and so once we saw that there wasn't any risk of maybe causing more damage, it really came down to, okay, surgery is going to be the best option to get your knee back to the best possible place. But that's going to put you out for probably five to six months. And so we explore, we talked about all the different non-surgical methods and decided that I'm going to try to do as much rehab as I can back stateside before I fly to Europe. So I did postpone my initial trip over to Europe didn't make it over with the team for the pre-World Cup training camp in Finland and also missed the first World Cup in Finland. Well, there's two weekends in Kontiolahti, Finland, and was in Colorado Springs doing rehab, got two knee injections, including uh, PRP, which is plasma-rich. Oh, man, I'm totally blanking right now. PRP injection and then also a hyaluronic acid injection, and those were hopefully going to help my knee get a little bit more stable. And then went to Canmore and eventually got to a place where I felt like my knee was able to get back to a 
level that I could be competitive on the World Cup. So the fact that I went from thinking I wasn't going to have a season at all to then three weeks later making it over to Europe and racing in my first World Cup of the season in Hopefilsen was something I was extremely grateful for. My goals definitely changed quickly. Heading into the season, I, I had had some some goals of like trying to be top 30, trying to build off my season last year, trying to get top 10s Nations Cup with our, our men's team. Once I was set back three weeks, it was like, that's going to be really difficult to try and be in that top 30, not racing all the World Cups is not easy. Um, I mean, I was set back just in like the amount of training I could do. Um, all these different things. And so it definitely changed the lens through which I was looking at the season from the beginning. And then as I was in Europe, continuing to manage my, my knee, I couldn't, I couldn't run still. I couldn't do certain activities. I was doing rehab, trying to build up the leg strength because something we noticed was when I was in Colorado Springs, did leg testing and the difference between my left and right quads, my left knee is the one that was injured. Actually, my left leg was working at a 40% deficit of my right leg. And they said they generally like to see that below 10%, ideally five. And it was like, I mean, that's a huge difference. And this is something that's definitely going to have to get addressed in the next year. But when you're racing, you can only do so much. So um, managed to, to get through the world champs and then decided, I shouldn't say I got through, like my knee was doing pretty well. And I I could have made it through the the last three World Cups of the season. But at that point, I still was operating at a major deficit with my left leg. And it was like, okay, do I want to prioritize the end of this season or prioritize the next, next year as a whole? And just ultimately made the decision that I should should come home early, get my knee surgery, and try and be in best the best position I can for this next season. Um, it was definitely hard. I knew that I was going to probably be sacrificing some of my position, team positions in terms of team team naming, which uh, may actually affect some of the funding that I get this year, which can be like really important for athletes. I mean, it could be thousands of dollars that you're missing out on heading into the next year. But I just really, I just felt within myself that it was like, yeah, sacrificing that that funding is going to be worth it because um, you really can't put a price on on being healthy. What a journey that has been. And I want to go back to those early days. Uh, you'd been at the October camp in Soldier Hollow, and then all this is coming down in November, I think, as I understand the timeline. But uh, you had the benefit, I would think, of being able to go home at night and talk to your wife, who actually is an orthopedic surgeon, and really get some feedback. How important was that in your relationship to be able to have that sort of medical feedback from a person who's really close to you and knows you so well? Yeah, I mean, I think just getting her input was was always is always valuable, not to mention just like her support as my wife. Uh, that's, that's really important. Kind of helped navigating some of those things and, and knowing, having her um, knowledge of what was going on is really great. And then also having that assurance from her just kind of gives you a little bit more confidence heading into things. It, it kind of takes out some of the questioning from what can sometimes be um, some some difficult lingo and trying to f- decipher what's going on. It, it helps uh, a significant amount for sure. I think when we think about knee injuries and in skiing, we think about alpine downhill ski racers crashing at 80 miles an hour and going through the nets. We don't really get, uh, don't hear as much about knee injuries with Nordic skiers, yet it is uh, a factor. Um, how unusual is it? Uh, and, and do you have any sense of, uh, you know, maybe what would have caused this in the first place? 
I think there's a lot of things that could have caused this. I think it's just, I think the initial injury came from from something that I maybe don't know right now. But that being said, it's it's been something that's happened over time. Yeah, I think everybody's just built a little bit differently. Maybe there was something in my knee that that just wanted to give out sooner than it needed to or whatever. But I don't think it's that that's kind of like a difficult question. I think it's just it can come down to sometimes just genetics. Sometimes it can come down to how you train, how your 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 body moves and um, stuff like that. But I think in my my case, it really came down to maybe um, some bad luck along the way and also just the training volume that I've had. And I think it also a, a component of it is that I'd already had two knee surgeries and I just was completely unaware of what was going on in my knee just to the side of the allograft. So, you know, when I first heard it, my first thought was like, it's the same spot. It's the same injury coming back again, when really it was a new injury. And I think that was something that was kind of surprising, but also a relief to know that what the surgeon did in 2019 actually did do its job and gave me some, some assurance for like, Hey, if we do this again, this surgery could be a success and it could actually help you in a way that like it wouldn't do on its own. Let's kind of fast forward to today. Right now, as we record this, you are about five weeks post-surgery. You're looking at the season, which is six months ahead right now. But what are you going through right now in your rehab, and how how will that transgress as you head into the summer and into the fall? Part of it was like getting on top of the rehab right now is only going to allow me to train better in the summer. I would say that my goal is to be back to full full training, unrestricted, doing every workout that I can with my work with my teammates by August. That's that's really the goal. We have some races in Jericho, Vermont, the summer championships. My goal is to be back to to normal training by then. From now until then, I'm going to be restricted in the amount of activities that I can do. So uh, at the moment, for the first six weeks here, I've only been able to put weight on my left leg when it's locked out in a brace. And so that's the first step. I haven't done any sort of load-bearing exercises just to give that knee joint the the time it needs to heal. And then for the next six to probably six to eight weeks, I'm going to be limited in the amount of weight-bearing activities that I can do. No impact Um, So that means no running right now, just things like building up strength through weight bearing exercises, closed chained strength exercises with my left leg, biking, elliptical, things like that. Then moving back into probably some side to side motions, still trying to keep the impact low. That might mean that I'm able to get back into some skate skiing and then hopefully by August. Uh, or probably in July, June, July, when I'm back in Lake Placid, utilizing some of the facilities they have there, I'll probably be getting back on the Alter G, which is a, a treadmill that you can use and helps take off some of that weight bearing load so that you can, you can get back into running, kind of develop some of that, just, just running gait and teaching your body to get used to that again. And then as skate skiing, alter G, all of that starts to come back. You start to slowly get back into it in like a normal way, getting back to full weight bearing, running and stuff like that. So all in all, it's about a five to six month recovery in the short term. 
means I'm going to be spending a lot of time ski erging, probably going to get in the pool and do some swimming. Um, as the weather gets nicer and nicer, getting out and paddling and the, the kayak that we had, uh, had talked about shortly before and just trying to get creative and in ways that I can still get in the workouts because ultimately as a biathlete, you still got to train your heart. It's all cardiovascular work. And even though it's maybe not exactly uh, ski training right now, it all is going to help me once I'm actually able to get back into a full uh, training regimen. Paul, when you do go to the gym at Sioux Falls, I imagine you're still doing upper body work, core work, uh, uh, cardio work. Are you still able to do that pretty effectively? Yeah, I mean, it's always tough. At the end of the season, you, you got to take a little bit of a break. I think that's something that I've um, had to learn the last couple of years. And I remember talking to our coach, Vagar, uh, a couple of years ago and asked him, like, what what do you prescribe in April? Because they never give us training plans. But all, but at the same time, I feel like there, there has to be some intent behind what you're doing or a focus. Because otherwise, then you just start kind of doing whatever. And in the past, I'd always done activity. And he said, like, you need to give your body like a true break. And I'm like, well, like, what do you mean by that? He's like, nothing for at least like three weeks. And I'm like, like, when you say nothing, like, what do you mean by nothing? He's like, nothing, you know, it's not, you're not going out for half hour jogs. You're not hitting the weight room. Like, like you're doing nothing. You're, you're being lazy. You're, you're eating food. You're trying to gain some weight. And the idea with that is kind of, a, it's like a, it's like a Sabbath. You, you have to give your body rest to be able to then handle all the training that you're going to be doing this next year. So this year, I, I think it was, it was an interesting time because I actually ended the season feeling pretty good. I felt like some of my best ski races were actually yet to come, um, which is tough to walk away from a season when you feel that way. Um, cause you feel like there's some unfinished business and you, you want to see what you're capable of, but still had to take that break. And especially considering like when you, when you go under the knife, like your body has a lot of, um, stuff to repair and that that's going to take a, your body's going to take a hit from that. And so, up until I would say probably the last week or two, I really hadn't been doing much. I'd really been just focusing on getting my knee to the best possible place. The fastest athletes are always going to be healthy athletes. If you're not healthy, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be at your peak form. So the focus has really been on getting my knee back to its best place as soon as possible. And now that I'm at a place where I feel like I can comfortably go do workouts and not put myself back. I have been able to get in some, some workouts on the skier. I went paddling this week for the first time I've been doing some weightlifting and thankfully I've had some really awesome access to the PT clinic here in Sioux Falls at Sanford. Um, they got a great sports med clinic. They've, they've been working with me. They've been getting me in as much as I want to get in. And it, that's, that's been really great. And I think that's only going to help me as I hit this next level of, um, next level of rehab and some of those restrictions are, are lifted. I think it's, it's going to be a really positive thing for, um, my return to sport. The concept of doing nothing, very difficult for an athlete. We're going to take a quick break on heartbeat. We'll be back in just a moment with Olympian Paul Schomer talking about his rehab and recovery from knee surgery. We'll be right back on heartbeat. Heartbeat. We'll be right back with Olympian Paul Schomer. But now I want to fill you in on a new U.S. Biathlon partner, Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. Paul Smith's College takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. 
From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. That's paulsmithsbobcats.com. And now let's get back with Olympian Paul Schomer on Heartbeat. We are back on Heartbeat with Olympian Paul Schomer. We're talking about his rehab from knee surgery, which occurred in early March. And Paul, we've talked about the physical aspects, uh, what you need to do to get your knee back in shape and what it takes to get back with your teammates come this uh, August. But let's talk a little bit about the mental impacts. Uh, I know as an athlete, you're super focused. You want to do the best that you can. You want to have a great season. And all of a sudden you have this uh, little obstacle in your way. How have you managed the mental aspects of this, first of all, during the season and then up through your surgery and looking ahead? Yeah, no, I think, uh, like you said, the, the mental aspect is super important. I mean, you could be as strong as anybody in the world, but if you're mentally weak, you're you're not going to be able to apply any of that fitness, any of that strength. You, you're going you're gonna to be out of the game even before you're in it. And so mentally, I think that the thing that I needed to remind myself was the season's not over until it's over up until, you know, I had come home and had my surgery. It was like the focus still needed to be there. There was still a chance um, to perform. And like Teddy Roosevelt said, you got to use what you have, where you are. Um, and oh man, what is it? You, you have to, but anyway, yeah. Teddy Roosevelt said, use what you have, where you are. Um, and that's why I think it's like, as an athlete, you need to, to be able to, to just keep going no matter what, what happens. And like, once, once I hurt my knee, it's like, I can't go and repair my knee at that moment. So I just have to, to, to do what I can and stay focused and, um, and just keep moving forward. So I think that the other thing is, is the more I've trained as an athlete, you start to realize that fitness, it, it seems like it comes and goes quickly, but it doesn't, it's always there. Um, yeah, maybe it's going to take you a week or two, but, um, a week with a season like biathlon, I mean, you're starting in November and it goes all the way through March. There's a lot of opportunity there to build fitness, to, to show up at certain times. And, um, I mean, if you really want to be fighting in the overall, yeah, you, you have to try to manage your fitness as best as you can throughout the entire season. But, um, you also have to have like to realize that like, there's always going to be opportunities to not give up before you get to that point where it's like you're really fighting for for good position so yeah i think it's mentally now after the surgery it's it's just having that same thought just trying to play the long game not give up too too soon and be like man i'm not where i'm at right now that that doesn't mean that i can't get there eventually just trying to stay persistent believing that i can get there and and just doing what i can to, to hopefully be where I want to be come this winter. I mean, it's a long time. It's a long season still. There's a lot of things that you can do. The, the flip side of that is like just trying to maximize where I'm at and like maybe working on aspects of my training that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that's really valuable sometimes because when you step away from sport, you, you start to view things in a, in a new way. You start to realize um, and notice things that you did in other at other times and it helps you learn and grow as an athlete. I think it's, it's an opportunity. Can it suck? Yeah. But like, uh, you, you can't look at it as like, it's all bad. There, there are positive things you have to, to stay focused and, um, try and learn what you can with where you're at at the moment. 
That's some wise words there. And I want to go back to the Teddy Roosevelt quote, uh, <laughs> do what you can with what you have and where you are, because no matter what you have or where you are, always try to make the best use of your circumstances to pursue your goal. So going back to that, do you have any mental tricks on how do you set obstacles aside and move forward? I mean, that's like the biggest thing you have to be able to do as a biathlete. Like if you, if you hang on to a bad performance, like that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You got to be looking forward. You have to be looking for reasons, uh, that you can't make it. And it's just such a mental game with biathlon. You have, you can't be looking for reasons why you're going to fail. I think that's the, that's something that like can be really difficult for an athlete or anybody in any position. You can be like, yeah, but yeah, but, and that, that kind of takes me back to a quote that I, a friend of mine had a long time ago. He was like, the more butts you have, the more crap you have to deal with. And it's this idea that it's like, if you're always going, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, you, you're, you're mentally already saying, I'm not capable of doing this thing. Just because you mentally are saying I'm capable of doing this thing doesn't mean you're going to achieve it, but it's giving yourself a chance, a fighting chance. And so in biathlon, there's a lot of times where I could, I could sit here and be saying like, yeah, but I'm an American. I'm living in the Dakotas. Nobody even knows what my sport is, where I'm living. I can't even walk normal right now. Like all of these different things. I I could have a big list of reasons why I'm going to fail. Yeah, but what is that going to be doing for me? The longer I dwell on that, the more my focus is going to go on to that. And then I'm going to start to believe that that's my, that's who I am. That's my situation and ultimately will determine my destiny. Or I could sit here and be like, yeah, I have an opportunity to get there. I have an opportunity. I can work on my core strength right now. I can develop different aspects of my training. I can take more time to focus on, on shooting. What is it about my shooting that's going to help me get there? I think for U.S. biathlon as a whole, that's something that can be one of our greatest strengths. We can we can play we can play this game a little bit differently than everyone else because we are a small biathlon nation, and it can lead to more opportunity. And I think that's that's where that Teddy Roosevelt quote comes in in like a really cool way, where it's like, "We are not Germany. We are not Norway. We are Americans. How can we use our position to our advantage to be successful in biathlon?" It's a really important approach to have. And you know, I think in sport and in ski sport and biathlon and others where there is this historical dominance by European nations, we, we tend to compare ourselves to them, but we don't have to. We are unique. We are Americans. We are the underdogs, but we're the ones that people want to cheer for as well. I, I, I want to take you though back uh, back to Teddy Roosevelt a little bit again, and let's 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 take this whole concept and put it into the biathlon arena. So when 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 you go out and on your first standing shoot, you miss two targets. You know, how how do you block that out of your mind? You do your penalty laps, you get on with the race, but it's a little bit like a golfer who has a bad first or second hole, you know, how do you get that back? But in biathlon, how do you overcome that in a competition to get past maybe not the greatest shooting to come back and have an inspiring event? I mean, this is something I was actually just thinking about yesterday. And it's because I was trying to think about how I could make a video about the mental, mental fork in the road that you have after a bad shooting like that. 
Say you have a four shooting race and you come in and miss two in your first shooting, or you miss your first shot of the race. It's like you have this fork in the road in your mind. Am I going to go down this road where I'm like, my race is over? Or do you realize, man, I have 19 more shots to take. Then that's 19 more opportunities to succeed. And so it can be difficult. I'll be the first one to admit that like there's been days where I've gone down that road where I'm just like race is already over. And I can tell you that road sucks. It's like your destiny is like already determined as soon as you take that first step down that road. One thing you have to remind yourself though, is even if you take one step down that road, there's always the opportunity to just step over and get on the other side. But on the other side, it's like everyone's going to be, I don't want to say everyone's gonna be missing shot, but every athlete misses shots at some point during the season, there is not a single person who went the entire season this year without missing a single shot. And so I think that's what you have to remind yourself is like, you're competing in a field of other humans. Like everyone is going to make mistakes. You don't know what their race is going to be doing. And also you, you want, it's an, it's still an opportunity. Like you have more opportunities to build yourself as a better biathlete. So maybe you don't have the best race today, But there's aspects of today's race that you're going to be able to take with you into the next performances. And if you can become a better biathlete today, it's only going to allow you to be better in the next or have the potential to have a better race next time. So it's like, yeah, maybe in that moment you, you didn't like succeed, but you have to like play the long game. Like I was saying and realize that like, Hey, there's still aspects of today that I can, can work on to become better if you're completely results driven, like you're going to be disappointed every single time. But like something that is important for me is like being process oriented and be like, Hey, like I don't want to come away from today saying like, I'm, I had the best result I've ever had. It's like, no, I came away today being a better biathlete. Let's, uh, let's move on to a, yet another sport that you're involved with. Somewhere along the line, you picked up archery, and archery is becoming a rehab tool for you. Tell us a little bit about the background and how you got into that and how that's been a tool for you to help in your rehab. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, I, I saw the outdoors as hunting and fishing. Like, if somebody said outdoor activities, I would that's what I thought of. Um, it wasn't really until I got into skiing that I realized that there was like this whole other side of the outdoors that I'd never really been exposed to. And that was just kind of like the result of growing up in Northeast Wisconsin. There's when I thought of sports, I thought of football, baseball, basketball. So after I then moved to Duluth, Minnesota for college, I kind of got exposed to this whole other side of the outdoor world where I was like, well, this is awesome. I've never seen this before. And so I kind of like dived headfirst into skiing and biking and hiking, camping, getting into the backcountry, climbing, stuff like that. And so that was really cool. But I definitely miss this aspect of hunting that I'd grown up with. I grew up as a hunter. I'd actually gone to the archery range quite a bit as a kid. Um, my friend and I, we actually had this bike trailer that we would load our bows up on and bike to the local archery range. And I just, I enjoyed shooting um, as a kid with my bow. I'd never had any sort of formal training. I just went out and shot my bow. I probably had horrible technique and stuff, but it was something I enjoyed and and did some bow hunting growing up as well. Once I got into to college, I like outgrew my bow. I didn't have any money to be able to replace it. And then once I started biathlon, I had even less time and even less money. And I definitely missed hunting quite a bit. And then this last year um, at the Olympics, I actually ended up 
deciding like I'm going to sell some of my Olympic team gear and I'm, I'm going to make it my bow budget. So I had sold some gear with the, the intention of buying a bow because one, I missed archery. I missed the, the act of shooting. It's a little bit different than shooting a rifle. Um, there, there's something kind of like meditative about it. Um, cause it's quiet. It's probably similar to like martial arts or yoga or something. It's like the, something about it. And, but then also like the bow seasons for hunting are a little bit earlier in the year and they work a little bit better with our training schedules. And so I bought this bow and I just started falling in love with it all over again. Like I did as a kid. And so after my knee surgery, I hadn't left our apartment for basically one week. The only time I left our apartment was for my one PT appointment five days after my surgery. But other than that, I didn't, didn't go anywhere. I was just at home with my leg elevated, just trying to really get a head start on my recovery. And I was like, I got to get out and do something. And I was like, well, you know, I could go to the local bow range and shoot, shoot some arrows. And, and that's what I ended up doing is just kind of like, this is something I can do right now with my um, knee in a, in a brace. And then I saw that there was a competition and just kind of was like, well, this is good mental training, shooting in a competition. And, and it's only going to help me become a better archer. Cause I definitely have some, some goals uh, this fall for, for hunting and want to be prepared for that. And um, it's, it only helps with uh, biathlon training. It's kind of like, there's definitely some, some similarities between the two shootings, but it, it definitely makes me, um, view biathlon shooting in a different way as well. So, uh, it's just something I, I, it kind of connects me back to my childhood, connects me to my, my outdoor, um, roots, uh, in Wisconsin and also gets me into the outdoors in a new way when I have the time. I want to talk a little bit about your, uh, your YouTube activity. Uh, you have been active in telling your story for a number of years and you now have a channel called the average Olympian. Tell us a little bit about how you've evolved to become an average Olympian and what that means. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like in, in the, in the process of like trying to establish my, my brand, what I stand for. I've thrown a bunch of names out there. I'm trying to figure out if the average Olympi or average Olympian is like what I really want to to stick with, if that's going to connect with people. And the idea came from looking at my statistics on the IBU app one time. I was just like an average skier. Like I was kind of middle of the pack, uh, just an average biathlete, an average Olympian. And then and and it's like I'm average in this group of individuals that are the best at something. But Outside of biathlon, I am just like an average dude. I live in just an apartment in Sioux Falls. I drive the same cars and, you know, I eat the same food, those sorts of things. Like when I'm at the grocery store, I'm just like everybody else. And I hope that it can kind of connect with people in a way where they see that like, just because I can perform in, in biathlon better than maybe the average person, like I'm average in a lot of other ways. And there's a lot of things that I want to share with people that I've learned in biathlon that will hopefully help them reach their goals, whether it be in sport or art, whatever. And then also like, I want to connect with people in the hunting world. As I said, that's something that I, I grew up doing. I missed, I'm, I'm getting back into more and more. It really, I love being in wild places. I love the environment. I want to protect the environment and um, conserve it for people to be able to enjoy it for years to come. And I want to be able to share with them two things I've learned in biathlon that hopefully help them uh, be able to be successful in the field. To, to learn how to shoot, how to be fit, how to be ready, and to uh, connect with, with nature in whatever ways they feel like really connects them in a, in a positive, 
um, spiritual way. I think that's something really cool that we have here in the U.S. that not a lot of other people do. Um, but also, like we skiers know about biathlon, we've connected with the ski community in big, big ways. But I feel like we haven't really tapped into like the shooting side of our sport, and that's that's huge in the U.S. And I think it'd be really cool to to connect with more people in the future on that on that front. Well, I, I do love the brand, and I think one of the big selling points of Olympic athletes is the fact that they really are the, the kid next door. It's the average person that you do meet in the grocery store, but they have great stories to tell, and they have great philosophies on life, as you've shared with us in the last half hour on on, on Heartbeat. So I do encourage everybody, uh, if you aren't following Paul right now, uh, formerly Biathlon Uncharted, but uh, now the average Olympian, there's some great content up there, and it was, uh, it was interesting to look at some of the videos that you made. Uh, uh, around your surgery. Your wife is the videographer. Is that right? I mean, <laughs> I've been thankful. In those cases. she's She's been able to come with me. Most of the time, I'm just kind of like uh, doing it on my own. It's been more of a hobby. And I mean, I'm really trying to figure out how to do it. I'm not an experienced videographer or editor. I'm just like doing this as a hobby and trying to, to like elevate my game. But like, I mean, for the longest time, I didn't didn't want to do that many videos because I just like didn't feel like I could produce the content that I really wanted. It was like, I don't want to put out like poor quality stuff. But then I realized like the only way I'm going to get better at this is by doing it. Like I need to practice and I need to be okay with like having subpar quality right now because that's the only way I'm going to be able to get to a place where I can put out stuff that I really, the, the kind of content that I want to have. So yeah, thankfully like Jillian has been a trooper and She's been traveling with me and done some stuff, but other times, like my teammates, they're always champs of doing it. Uh, Maxime and Jake, they, they get roped into being behind the camera sometimes and stuff. So uh, it, it's definitely a team effort, but trying to figure it out because first and foremost, I'm an athlete. Like, uh, it's really difficult. Like can't be out skiing around with the camera in my hand all the time, but it's not something you could do with a camera in your hand. So, uh, got to get creative with getting content sometimes trying to create uh, content that's more than just entertaining. That's something that I'm really trying to do right now. And hopefully, um, yeah, people can, can give me a follow, definitely trying to grow, tell your friends. Um, and if you have a better name than average Olympian, uh, definitely send it my way. Cause I'm not, I have no, uh, I I've had a lot of discussions with other people. The there's been like everyday Olympian has been thrown around ordinary Olympian. Um, right now I'm, I'm on average Olympian, but, um, hope to get that settled. So, uh, yeah, if you have any good ideas, send them my way. Or if you have anything you're really curious about, like, hey, I want to see you do a video on this, or I'm curious about that, hit me up. I'm I'm all ears right now. Well, we like the reality of it. I really have enjoyed your channel over the last few years. We're going to close it out with our segment called On Target. A few final questions for you. And, you know, first of all, I know that this was in many ways a disappointing season because you weren't able to finish it out and you weren't able to, uh, uh, or you had to have knee surgery. But, but there are highlights as well. So as you look back on your season, what's a highlight? Highlight that you look back to and that you're proud of from this past year? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I have to say, I mean, I had a really fun season. Our team, like the men's team has been really fun to, to train and race with. Um, we had a plenty of hurdles as a team. Um, Sean Doherty got sick a couple times. Jake had like a real battle with, with health in a different way than me, just with like getting sick a bunch. And so I think one thing that was really cool for us was our re our men's relay and rope holding was really, really cool to see us just kind of break out and, and have a, 
a great finish there. Everyone put together a, a really good leg, especially with Max being the anchor. He was able to to finish out the the race strong. Um, I think I think that was definitely a highlight. And then, I mean, the other aspect of that is just like seeing so many of these young dudes pushing the pace, having breakthroughs. I think it only shows that like great things are to come uh, as, as we continue to work hard. And I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked to have these young guys, um, nipping at my heels. It makes me feel like I, I got to get my act together or, or they're going to start overtaking me. And at the end of the day, like that's the goal. The goal is to, to have these guys be better athletes than I am. I mean, that's something that Jake and I have talked about is like, we're the old guys on the team now. Um, feels kind of weird saying that. I feel like I went from like being a young guy to an old guy in the matter of like months. Um, but I mean, the goal is to, to see these guys take biathlon to the next level, to put us biathlon on the map and, um, do what we know we're all capable of. Well, it's a great team and a great team spirit. And it was fun to see the results that Maxime had this year, see Vincent Bonacci get his uh, first World Cup start. So uh, it was a great season. As you look at your rehab, though, now over the past five weeks, any big surprise that you've had in the last five weeks as you've been recovering from knee surgery? Compared to my surgery from 2019, I've been really happy that like it's been the recovery has been going a lot quicker than um, than last time. I don't know if there's any huge surprises, which is probably a good thing in this sort of scenario. I don't know if you can keep this in the podcast, but the hardest part was just like going to the bathroom with a straight leg for the first like couple of days. That was the hardest part, like sitting on a toilet with like one leg completely locked out. Not the easiest thing. So, but like other than that, thankfully, no major surprises. At the moment, uh, the, the biggest thing is just always, like, I think kind of knew it was coming, but it always just hits you every time. Like the atrophy that you get when you don't use a leg, when it's locked out for six weeks, like my left leg is pretty skinny. And I mean, just last night I was like saying something to my wife and I'm like, yeah, I bet my legs like probably about the same size as yours now. And for those who don't know my wife, she's like five, three, pretty tiny distance runner. And she just looked at my leg and she went, uh, my legs aren't that skinny and it's just like oh man is it that bad like my leg is, so it's it's definitely going to be a little bit of a um road back to to getting that that leg hopefully under 10 percent. i mean that's the goal this year of getting it getting it stronger and stuff but uh it's it's always it's always tough when you look at just how much your leg deteriorates over time paul so you look ahead uh and hopefully it's a bright road ahead What's a really fun thing that you're looking to do this summer once you get your strength back in that left leg? Ah, uh, uh, I mean, I love running. I think the simplicity of it is just is awesome to be able to get back to running. So that's something I definitely enjoy and just getting out for some hikes. And yeah, one thing I'm really looking forward to, I drew a moose tag for North Dakota. So I'm um, really, really looking forward to being able to get back on my two feet out in nature um, on my first ever moose hunt. So that's going to be really exciting. Gun or bow? My, my goal is to, to get out with the bow. Um, it's a once in a lifetime tag. I had like under 0.5% chance of getting, of drawing that tag. So it's like, I got really lucky to draw it. And so, um, yeah, hopefully going to be chasing a moose in September with my bow. Beautiful. And then last question, what was your first meal on the way home after surgery? Oh, I was still real loopy. There's a video on my, on my YouTube channel of, um, post-surgery and I, I was like, oh man, we got to go to Culver's. So yeah, definitely hit up Culver's pretty shortly after. If anybody here has a connection that's listening to Culver's, love to be a, a representative of Team Scoopy. If you want to connect me with anybody at Culver's, 
Um, and yeah, I think that's ultimate, maybe that's the reason why my surgery or my recovery is going so well this time, uh, was because that, that post-surgery nutrition was on point hitting up Culver's right away and yeah, just set me on the right path. Being a Wisconsin native, I'm very familiar with Culver's and I was delighted when they finally made their way to Utah. Paul Schomer, we wish you all the best in your uh, recovery this summer. It has been great to talk to you, and I appreciate you sharing so many thoughts that uh, tell us what you're up to, but also share thoughts that others can benefit from. Thanks for being on Heartbeat. Thanks, Tom. Paul Schomer loves to tell the story of his sport. I want to thank him for taking the time to share his own story and give our listeners some insights into what it takes to come back from an injury. And do check out his YouTube channel, Average Olympian. That's Average Olympian. There you'll get some behind-the-scenes coverage of his surgery and, and learn more about his love for archery and the sport of biathlon. Before we go, I want to send a final shout-out to Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. Remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you. Thanks again to Olympian Paul Schomer for joining us today on Heartbeat. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast.